Emily and Brett, I'm very happy to have you on the podcast. Thanks for coming. Thank you so much for having us. And we will be talking about a paper, recent paper of yours, just about to be published in the European Journal of Personality. What was the goal of the study? So we were really interested in understanding what was happening to people's emotions as the pandemic unfolded. The pandemic is a really unique stressor in that it affects everyone in the population to some degree, but it affects people in different ways. So almost everyone experienced and is still experiencing severe disruptions to their daily lives, new health threats, and sudden and prolonged changes in the nature of social contact. But in addition to those more shared experiences, some people were and continue to experience um, unique stressors like financial stressors, such as job loss, changes to their childcare, and frontline workers risk illness exposure at work. So we were interested in two parallel questions. First, we wanted to know how did emotions change on average during the pandemic? We expected that negative emotions might increase and positive emotions might decrease at the onset of the pandemic, but we weren't really sure how dramatic those changes would be or how long they would persist. So would people's emotions bounce back, so to speak, or would the persistent and chronic nature of the pandemic have long-term effects on people's emotional experiences? Second, we were really interested in how people's emotional responses might differ from one another and what might explain those differences. So we know from previous research that everyone's emotional trajectories should look a little bit different from one another, but one of our biggest challenges was actually narrowing down the set of predictors that we thought might explain these different patterns of emotional responses. From prior research and theory, we know that there's a broad range of factors related to the individual, to the stressor, as well as to the broader context that all might explain why some people have different emotional responses than others. But given the broad scope of the pandemic, again, this is a stressor that everyone in the population is experiencing to some degree, we chose to focus on two types of factors that we thought might afford the greatest opportunity to identify the most impacted groups as well as the most impactful type of stressors. So we examined sociodemographic factors such as age, gender, race, ethnicity, and social class, as well as some of the most common stressful experiences related to the pandemic. Things like job loss, loss of childcare, being a frontline worker, or being exposed to different restrictions related to slowing the spread of COVID-19. Do you want to talk a little bit about the nitty-gritty of the study as well? So how did you go about achieving these aims? You know, we originally started collecting these data in February 2020, and this was... Um, you know, in hindsight, about a month before the WHO declared COVID-19 a pandemic. At the time, this was just the novel coronavirus, and we were interested in how people were um, kind of feeling about and potentially coping with what at the time was a somewhat distal threat. And then things just kept changing week to week. And so we had, a, you know, initially recruited a relatively large and a relatively diverse U.S. sample, and then we just, we kept following up with them week to week for the first couple of months of the pandemic, wanting to track this historic event from what we would call, I think, an affective perspective. So how people are feeling, how they're coping with this kind of new major stressor, um, how their family is doing, and so forth. And so this is a relatively kind of large data set. And in those first couple of months, like I mentioned, we uh, collected kind of weekly self-reports 
as the pandemic continued, <laughs> that became um, unsustainable. And, and also we realized that, that we were in this for the long haul and we began collecting monthly self-reports. Obviously mid-March was a big turning point. That's when the pandemic was officially kind of declared such and where uh, kind of widespread out outbreaks had begun as well as some of the restrictions that were beginning to really impact people's lives. And because we started collecting data a month before, we were actually able to compare people's emotions kind of before the pandemic to their emotions kind of during and across the first six months of the pandemic. So we can kind of see how emotions are changing around that kind of turning point, that inflection point, as well as how they continue to change. Yeah, the COVID really gave us a very unique opportunity to study things that normally we couldn't be studying. So what did you find? As you might expect, we did see an immediate decrease in emotional well-being around that mid-March inflection point. So we saw increases in negative emotions and decreases in positive emotions. But over the next six months, we th saw things start to diverge for negative relative to positive emotions. So on average, negative emotions didn't stay elevated for very long. They returned to those pre-pandemic February of 2020 baseline levels within just a few weeks. But in contrast, people's positive emotions, again, on average, remained severely depleted after that first six months, so across the entire study period. In other words, it looked like negative emotions did bounce back on average, but the pandemic's detrimental effects on positive emotions were more persistent. But importantly, that is all just on average. We were also interested in how people differed from one another. And we did see large and complex individual differences in emotional responses to the pandemic. So when I say complex, I mean that people's emotions differed in their starting points, their ending points, whether they increased or decreased, as well as whether they followed a more linear or quadratic trajectory. Next, we were interested in what might predict those individual differences. For positive emotions, we found that people who identified as lower social class, those who were experiencing pandemic-related financial stressors, so things like job loss, and Black and African-American individuals tended to report lower levels of positive emotions across the pandemic's first six months. We also found that women experienced more negative emotions during the pandemic, and people living in areas with shelter-in-place or stay-at-home orders tended to report higher levels of negative emotion, but only about COVID-19, not necessarily more negative emotions in general. Would these people be even without the pandemic, reporting lower levels of positive emotions and maybe higher levels of negative emotions? That's a great question. So the results that I just shared with you are after statistically adjusting for those pre-pandemic baseline levels in February 2020, suggesting that these differences that we're seeing are at least not wholly attributable to those um, pre-existing differences in emotional experience. Are there any sort of implications for the public coming from this study? We think there are several. The three that we've been focusing on, first being that kind of persistent detriment to positive emotions. Um, these are emotions like joy, hope, amusement. To us, this highlights how important it is to kind of consider moments um, that allow people to cultivate positivity, um, kind of moving forward to allow them to, to bounce back um, to where they kind of began. 
second takeaway for us is just how much people differed from each other, right? Some people are experiencing huge declines in emotional well-being. Other people are kind of remaining the same. Other people are bouncing back. And so the, the kind of complexity and the size of these individual differences makes it really clear to us that really kind of sweeping or bold claims about how resilience is ubiquitous or, or conversely that it's rare are probably overstated. And instead, we think it's probably most useful to focus on how to help increase emotional well-being among those most impacted, right? And then that kind of brings us to our third point about those who are most impacted. Um, and like Emily just mentioned, particular people tended to report worse emotional well-being during the pandemic. Women, Black or African-American people, people who identified as lower social class. And we imagine that these differences are likely driven by the exacerbation, right, of existing inequalities. Um, so th this is unique to the COVID pandemic, as Emily mentioned, right, it holds when controlling for those initial levels. But it does suggest, again, right, that COVID-19 had a disproportionate impact for particular groups. And we would, we would propose that, you know, interventions to increase well-being during what what appears to be a relatively interminable pandemic and you know, future uh, major stressors should focus on addressing these existing inequalities that we can see are, are probably becoming exacerbated during these major stressors. I find myself quite well following the average trajectory in these emotions. I don't think negative emotions lasted that long for me, but it took a long time before the positive emotions sort of started coming back and normalizing. It just kind of felt a little empty for quite a while. From this study, do you have any follow-ups planned? That's a great question. So we have actually continued to collect data from these folks until relatively recently. So we will be able to follow up and ask new questions about what's happening to people's emotions as well as how they're coping with them um, across, you know, now going into the third year of the pandemic. For this broader research question, I also think there are a couple of places that this research could go. First, I think it will be important to understand how people's positive emotions continue to be affected and how we can foster more positive emotional experiences in people's everyday lives. So we know that positive emotions serve a crucial buffer against the harmful effects of stress. And just in general, they're vitally important for people's mental and physical health. So I think it's definitely important to identify whether this decline in positive emotions is still happening or rather these lower levels of positive emotions are still happening. And if so, how we can intervene to mitigate it. The second main direction for this research is to develop better ways of understanding and characterizing individual differences and in responses to stress. So a lot of research on resilience following major stressors focuses on determining what's the most common response. Do most people bounce back quickly after a major stressor or do most people continue to experience declines in their well-being? But I think what we're really learning is that reality is a lot more complex than this and that this rather simple question might not tell the whole picture. And we may need to apply new approaches, for example, ideographic methods to fully understand how and why people differ and how they respond to stress. Oh, this is very interesting. So I hope that in about a year's time or so, we will have another reason to meet up and talk about your new paper in the European Journal of Personality. So thanks for coming and talking about the paper. Thank you so much for having us.